You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. We are here to discuss Halloween Kills, which just came out in 2021 and was directed by David Gordon Green. 40 years ago, the boogeyman came for us. We are the survivors of Michael Myers. Lori, what do we do? We fight. Mom, our family will kill him. We're going to hunt him down and we're going to put an end to this. He is not going to stop killing until we stop him. If you track Michael's victims, that's a straight line to Michael's childhood home. You want to kill someone? Take me! Michael! I want to take his mask off and see the life leave his eyes. It stars Jamie Lee Curtis, Judy Greer, Anthony Michael Hall, Andy Matichek, James Jude Courtney, Will Patton, Robert Longstreet, Kyle Richards, and Dylan Arnold. And the genre, of course, would be horror thriller. And I must give an additional warning, spoiler alert, the ending of this movie will be briefly discussed. So if you haven't seen it, just be warned. Halloween Kills. Wow. Talk about an unnecessary sequel which strains to make itself seem necessary in the most gratuitous ways. Almost as gratuitous as the blood and gore resulting from the many kills, hence the title, coming from its geriatric villain. Now, I really enjoyed the 2018 Halloween rebootquel. I think that's what you call it. It was quite tense, well shot, well acted, oftentimes intentionally funny, featured good performances, had some nifty kills itself, and most of all, I really liked the ending. Seeing the journey that all three generations of Strode women took, especially Jamie Lee as Lori and Judy Greer as her daughter Karen, and how they banded together to defeat the Boogeyman was very satisfying, and I really dug the finality of that ending. Trapping Michael Myers in that basement with those impenetrable bars above him so that they could still see him burn to death. I mean, where do you go from there? And considering that most of the creative team behind that gem of a film, including director David Gordon Green, all returned for the sequel, I guess their collective answer was, well, we never did see what it would look like when Michael stabbed someone in the neck with a halogen bulb. Because this movie lives up to its title, if nothing else. It's all about the kills. This movie does not waste any time either. It's not enough for the shape, as he's also known, to simply find a clever way to avoid getting burned alive and sneaking out of Laurie's house. Nope. He hangs around for a few, and he waits for the local fire brigade to come around and start hosing down the flames, also searching the house, before he just axes the dozen of them to death. And from that point on, he just turns the small town of Haddonfield, Illinois, into his own personal etch-a-sketch, as if he was a four-year-old who just couldn't resist constantly shaking the sand. Go! Find him, Tommy! Don't. Don't. I need you to listen to me. You need to listen to me right now, Okay. All right, a lifetime of preparation. And for what? Ray is dead. So many people are dead. We're not equipped. Allison's run off with crazy Lonnie Elam. People are losing their minds. There are authorities who are trained to deal with exactly this kind of, this 
There's a system. Well, the system failed. Now, having recently rewatched Halloween 2018, I remember in my written review comparing Myers in that film to a slasher version of Jason Bourne. He's opportunistic in who and how he kills, always waiting to get them alone, often in cramped spaces, using whichever items he can get his hands on to deliver the most efficient kill. This version of Michael Myers has some of that. The halogen bulb is actually the best example, and it's a clever, if brutal, moment. But this time around, Myers is more portrayed as an 80s action hero along the lines of Rambo or Commando. No matter how often some of the residents of Haddonfield seemingly have the drop on him, they might have a point-blank shot to take him out with a firearm, or they might have him surrounded on all sides with several of them each stabbing at him from different directions. They rarely land a hit or even draw blood, and he just takes them out with minimal effort. Hey! What are you guys doing out here? It's Halloween. We've been trick-or-treating. We got a whole bag of You guys should not be out here right now, okay? It's not safe. You're going to kill me? (laughs) Satan, not today. Oh, I'm so scared. Are you guys alone? Where are your parents? No. No, we're waiting for our friend. And, like, there's a creepy man in a white mask, and he keeps, like, trying to play hide-and-seek with us, and he's... He's (laughs) Where did you see him? He's just hiding behind trees. And he pops out, like, peek-a-boo. I mean, we're not three years old. Come on, man. Oh, look, there he is. Oh, hello! The story? Well, Michael goes on a rampage around Haddonfield, and we watch as several of the local townsfolk gather as a rageful mob to take him down. Not including Lori herself, who is at the local hospital for the entire runtime, recovering from injuries sustained from the first movie. And that's honestly enough story to sustain 100 minutes, as we at the very least get several scenes cutting back to Lori in the hospital, generally monologuing about Michael. It's not just Michael. It's what he's done to this town, these people. Decent people. You're a good man, Frank. You were doing your job. But now it needs to die. Because every time somebody's afraid, the boogeyman wins. And I'm the one that needs to kill it. There's also a moment about halfway through when we see Lori finally get out of her bed which takes the film to levels of absurdity from which it never recovers. And what then immediately follows is an increasingly ridiculous sequence where we see several civilians in the hospital spot someone who they think might be Mike Myers because he clearly looks like an escaped mental patient. They all start to chase him around the hospital, up and down stairs, trampling anyone in their path. Now, David Gordon Green is a strong director who has directed his share of gritty dramas with disturbing moments played perfectly straight in films like Snow Angels and George Washington. But then again, he's also given us some slapsticky stoner comedies like Pineapple Express and Your Highness. Highness, get it? (laughs) It's something that's funny. Strangely, for this particular sequence, he seems to inadvertently lean into the sillier elements of those latter films because watching this, quote, angry mob go full throttle is just akin to Keystone Cops. It's hard to take seriously watching so many folks just hamming it up bashing into each other through hospital corridors and stairwells. So by the time the sequence ends on a very disturbing, tragic note with some genuinely disturbing gore, the movie just lost me. And from there, the movie just goes further off the rails as we continue to see inventive kills, but just increasingly idiotic behavior on the part of just so many characters to make it all possible. By the time we get to the epic climax at Michael's old childhood house, He's gone past Rambo at this point. He's now Ray Skywalker. Hey, she gave herself that name, not me. 
just seemingly using the force to manipulate everyone around him without actually saying anything. Folks just seem to leave knives for him in just the right spots. When they're not acting as clueless henchmen out of a Bruce Lee movie, seemingly just waiting to only take him on one-on-one, there's minimal suspense towards the end because we know there's a third film coming soon, so Michael's survival is already preordained. And what makes this all the more ridiculous is that throughout the movie, you could literally have a drinking game for so much repetitive dialogue, which we hear uttered from every character. And I mean every character. Just take a shot of some clear liquor each time you hear someone declare that they will, quote, kill Michael Myers, and you'll probably be smashed by the 30-minute mark. We're going to hunt him down, and we're going to put an end to this. No, he is on his way here. I keep telling them that. He is stalking her, and we are staying here to protect her. He's infected your family. He's infected my family with grief and fear for 40 years. He's going to die tonight. So even though this film is a mess, which extends a story that really did need to be extended, here's the crazy thing. I want to see that next sequel, which will apparently be called Halloween Ends. Good title. (laughs) And that's because the way this film concludes, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, the way the film ends, I'm not really giving away much if you know there's a sequel coming up. And that's because the way this film concludes, we're really just left with one conclusion. You can't kill Michael Myers. Burn him, shoot him, stab him, shove him in a wood chipper. It just doesn't matter. He just gets right back up. So as ridiculous as Halloween Kills is, I'm just chomping at the bit just to see how they take him down. No joke. I mean, forget Thanos. At the end of Infinity War, the solution towards defeating him was pretty simple. Aim for the head. But in the case of the shape slash Michael Myers, I'm at a loss. Maybe bring in the Space Marines to clear out Haddonfield, zero in on the shape's location, and then just nuke the site from orbit. Only way to be sure. And that brings me to the categories. The first category is Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. The best thing about this film is that haunting score featuring the original Halloween theme music throughout. And it's coming from the Carpenters, of course. That would include the legendary John Carpenter, who not only directed the original Halloween in 1978, but also composed its now iconic score. And John is joined by his son Cody, who himself is an accomplished musician and producer. And they just deliver tense music throughout, pretty much all of it either classic piano or synthesizer. So even when what we see on screen isn't particularly scary, the music does its job to maintain tension and keep us on our toes. Predictably, as I'm a sucker for techno and an ending with a big finish, their version of the theme which plays over the end credits is particularly impressive, as we hear a fast-paced drum beat behind the theme. Talk about ending on a high note. That takes us to the next category, which would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. I have to say, in the lead-up to this film's release, and even just in the early parts of the film, one thing which had me particularly excited was the casting of Anthony Michael Hall as the grown-up version of Tommy Doyle, who was a character from the original 1978 film. He's the little boy who Laurie Strode babysits, and her character pretty much saves his life by diverting Michael Myers away from his house towards the end of that movie. Now, as a child of the 80s who grew up enjoying AMH, I'm going to just refer to him as AMH moving forward, 
As someone who grew up enjoying AMH's performances in movies like Weird Science and The Breakfast Club, I was kind of tickled by the idea that this could be kind of a Billy Zapka via Cobra Kai-like mini-revival for the actor. And yes, I know, AMH has done a lot since the 80s, including headlining the Dead Zone TV show for several years. He also had a prominent role in The Dark Knight, among several other movies. So AMH never went away. I just lost track of him. I get it. And here's the thing. He's pretty much the co-lead of this movie, alongside Judy Greer. AMH literally has more screen time and more dialogue than Jamie Lee Curtis or just about anyone else from the cast. Unfortunately, most of that dialogue kind of sucks. Now, remember how I mentioned that drinking game just before? Yeah, disappointingly, his character gets saddled with much of that dialogue. If he's not talking about how he was traumatized by Michael Myers, he's talking about how he's going to kill Michael Myers. And if he's not doing that, then he's constantly riling others up around him to go help him find and kill Michael Myers. Now, that's not to say his performance is bad. It's just so one note and through no fault of his own. And yes, this this all takes place during one night. And considering the circumstances, maybe there wasn't much else of note to talk about besides Michael Myers. But AMH's Tommy Doyle is even given a more laid back introductory sequence. Just hang out at a local bar, shooting the shit before all hell breaks loose. We even see him perform on stage at a talent show at that bar. So cool, right? Let's get to know Tommy a bit. Well, guess who he talks about on stage at that talent show? Yep, the subject of his discussion rhymes with, let's say, cycle liars. <laughs> you dig? We spend much of this film with Tommy Doyle, and we never get any idea of what he does, if he's married, how he's qualified to lead a violent mob, or even much of an honest reaction to when things go south at that hospital. He just stays on message. And the way his character meets his end at this movie it's done a genuine disservice by just how poorly the last sequence of this movie is edited. We're cutting to him, but we're also cutting to Karen nearby, and we're also cutting to Lori, and it's just confusing because Karen is supposed to be relatively close geographically to Tommy, but it feels like each character is in three distinctly different locations. Just a waste for poor AMH with such a meaty part in a prominent movie. <coughs> Tommy! Tommy, you can't go in there! Lori. Tommy! Tommy! Lori. Tommy. He killed Marion. And he attacked Lindsay, too. What? Karen! We didn't know for sure. I didn't know what to tell you. Mom, I just want you to be okay. Listen, I just want you to know, when he gets here, I'm going to kill him. Because 40 years ago, when I was a kid, you protected me. So tonight, I'm going to protect you. Okay? And that brings me to the trailer moment. This is the scener moment that best describes this movie. Strangely, some of the scenes featuring Lori back at the hospital are among the funniest in the movie, though I'm not sure intentionally, especially once she learns that Michael is still alive. Nurse, you know, I appreciate you, but could you get out, please? Like, get out now. We had him. How did he escape? I don't know. I don't know. What do we do? We don't have the police support. We fight. We always fight. Now, Jamie Lee gives it her all. And she's fun to watch. But come on now. There's a moment here where she takes a break from monologuing to her daughter, Karen, to get up out of her recovery bed with her hospital gown just flapping around. She just grabs a random needle off a nearby table, sticks it into a bottle of something. Karen asks incredulously, do you even know what that is? And Lori, just before she's about to stick this needle into her side, just says, just as everything else goes silent, it makes the pain go away. This moment is just high camp, and that is your trailer moment. And that brings me to the final category, which would be the MVP, 
the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. I'm actually going to designate Michael Simmons as the MVP. Simmons was the director of photography for this film, along with the previous Halloween from 2018. And both films, at the very least, look great. And both films are relatively watchable, independent of quality, of course. But there's only one aspect of this sequel which really blew me away. The film kicks off with flashbacks from 1978, focusing on the events from the first film. And we go back to these events from different angles throughout the movie. Now, especially watching the extended cold open sequence, which focuses on two cops chasing after Michael Myers on that first night, the focus of that 78 movie, I kept thinking, hmm, do I remember this part of the original film or is this maybe a deleted scene that they remastered? Now, it had been a few years since I saw the 1978 original, so I wasn't sure, as these scenes looked pretty 1978-ish. The film stock, the color grade, the costuming, the pacing, the sound quality, and the hairstyles and makeup all just felt like they were from that original film. Now, imagine my surprise to find out that all of these sequences in this sequel were just filmed a couple of years ago as part of the regular production for this movie. Just really well done. Not only do the sequences blend in well with the rest of the movie, but they are very convincing to their time and place. Much of the credit has to go to Simmons for pulling off something that in today's, you know, 70s and 80s nostalgia-obsessed climate is just no small feat. I mean, we have seen approximations of this relative time period in everything lately, from the first It movie to Stranger Things to Wonder Woman 1984 to Atomic Blonde. And sorry, but most of the time, it just never looks convincing. There's just a gloss or sheen to it, which makes it obvious that what we're watching was actually filmed in 2019. But not in this case, so kudos to Simmons. He hasn't done cinematography for many movies so far, but I really look forward to seeing what he has in store for us in the future. My rating for Halloween Kills would be one and a half stars out of five. As I said earlier, this film already had the daunting task of following up directly from a film which, as far as I'm concerned, had a pretty definitive ending. Regardless, Halloween Kills is definitely among the more disappointing new films I've seen this year, certainly among the most disappointing sequels, right alongside Coming to America, which I have also reviewed, so check it out. And even though I will likely see its direct sequel, which is supposed to come out next year, just out of pure curiosity, really, consider my expectations to be somewhat lowered. And if you're looking to experience Halloween Kills for yourself, you could currently see it in theaters, and it's also streaming on Peacock TV. And that ends another soul-destroying review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.